And welcome to the Happy Hour. The always fun. Semi-informative. Always relevant. And slightly irreverent. Happy Hour talk show presented by Apgro Summit. So whether you're on your way to work. Or winding down after work. Or you're bored doing work. Pop in an episode and take a quick shot of the Happy Hour. Yay. We did it. We did it. Hi, Louis Tenge, Managing Director of AppGrowth Summit. Hello, Ariel Niedermeyer, Queen of Content at AppGrowth Summit and other endeavors. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm amazing. How are you doing on this very I'm, unusually, unseasonally hot day? It is a hot day in San Francisco. I'm doing great because we are joined by such um, a enigmatic guest. Here we have Charles Manning, CEO of Cochava. I'm so thrilled to be here. We are excited to have a verifiable genius on with us. You're going to you're going to be too smart for this podcast, but we'll try to keep up with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I I'm really excited to talk to you Charles because I every time I talk to anyone in this industry, they always talk about how much of a genius you are. They're always like, "Yeah, he's super smart, like super super smart." Yeah. So he's blushing for well, that's quite a flattering him. comment from you guys. I mean, you guys are in the in the pinnacle, the keystone of this space. So it's it's a flattering comment to hear from you guys. See, already just the smartest answer. <laughs> Tell us about Coachava and what you guys are up to these days. Yeah, you bet. I mean, like anyone, 2020 is filled with adventure. <laughs> um, you know, we um, like everyone else went through some really exciting times. Um, in kind of preparation of the quarantine. We have an annual event every year uh, in February, which we call our Kochava Summit. And it's um, become a really neat and pretty special event. And it's at Sandpoint. And uh, we have like 220, 250 people to come here. And the reason why it's only 220 to 250 is because there's only so many beds and hotels in this town. And so it's kind of like a natural uh, limiter. Anyways, the reason I bring it up is that was kind of like the D-Day moment between pre-COVID affecting the United States and post-COVID affecting the United States. Like literally we were talking about COVID um, at the event, but then kind of the wheels fell off. Mobile World Congress was canceled the week and a half later, uh, right at the last minute. And um, so kind of circling back on your question about how this year has been, or I guess you asked, how is Kochava or what's going on with Kochava? I think just like everyone else, we've um, uh, been going through that kind of transition of operating the business in quarantine. And um, I'm, I'm ha super happy to report, you know, our traffic is up 50% over last year this time. So remarkable. Uh, no one would have, I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't have expected that. But then when you have hindsight, you, um, you look back on it and say, well, it makes a lot of sense, actually. Uh, and right. uh, based on the types of customers that we have and the dynamics. Uh, so really thrilled that we've continued to grow despite, you know, some of the kind of craziness that's happened in the overall economy uh, over the last year. Um, but then obviously everyone in this space knows that there was another whole kind of atom bomb this summer with uh, the, the WWDC. And that was really interesting. And, uh, you know, we spent uh, a fair amount of time kind of thinking about uh, messaging, uh, something we've been thinking about and talking about what happens if, and we kind of wargamed out, IDFA goes away, IDFA gets modulated. We kind of didn't think that IDFA would be an opt-in thing. So that was a bit of a surprise to us for sure. Um, so while we spent a bit of time kind of thinking about um, where does this kind of shoot the trajectory of the space? Where do we um, 
position ourselves to best serve our customers. Uh, what happened in that time was, um, you know, we spent a ton of time educating and communicating with customers. So if you were to look at a spectrum of, of percentages, a disproportionate amount of time just doing one-on-one meetings. It's because, you know, while Apple may have had this fabulous event that was really well-produced, well-scripted, awesome camera shots, uh, there wasn't a lot of communication after the event on the what happens now for customer X and what happens now for customer Y. And so I think there was a whole industry that was doing briefing calls with clients and kind of saying, this is our read of the situation. This is what we're doing to support you. This is the implication, you know, read the tea leaves. This is the way this is going to look. And so that's, you know, honestly, the last four months, three months, that's been what most of that time has been marked with. But so growth, weirdness of social distancing, lots of meetings. That's, that's kind of, that's the, sep- that's the summarization of 2020. Yeah, I wish those meetings were in person at like an event conference series, at like, you know, something that was an industry leader in events. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know any of those. Yeah. yeah. I think, I've I think ever heard of one. Summit was pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah. AGS. Yeah. I think I heard of that yeah. one. <laughs> they actually, uh, AGS speaking to third person, like Carl Malone, uh, <laughs> We were actually the last. Um, were you guys the last real deal? Yeah, yeah we were that the doesn't last surprise one. me. The day, I mean, I'm not trying to say that this was a good thing, but actually, the day we had our event was also the day they announced a state yeah. of emergency in LA, which they mostly do for funding. But it was crazy. But we had a yeah, great. They announced event. the emergency. Yeah, the state of emergency, so that they could release the yeah. funds for when they needed it. Right, and then. Wow. And then uh, the lockdown happened about like a week a, or two later. A week later, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah you're right. The so, so we, we were the, the last of the Mohicans. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I know that there's still, there continues to be lots of uncertainty with the IDFA and what Apple is looking for, but where do you see the industry kind of moving? What are those calls? Like, what are you saying on those calls that you're having? Yeah. Well, I tell you, I, um, you know, we had, uh, I had the privilege of joining you guys for an IDFA specific session. And if you haven't already listened or seen it from a recording from these guys at AGS, you should look it up. Um, cause we, had, um, these guys put together a fabulous group of audience, uh, or participants in a panel. I'll wire you your money later. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you the, you know, I think there was, um, the idea that everything was going to be ready by, um, you know, early September was really a crunch moment. And I think it wasn't just us, but like we, you know, everyone in the industry was kind of thinking about, okay, we got to, we got to have a solution so we can serve customers specifically for SCAD, specifically for what happens in the case where IDFA opt-in doesn't happen on one side or the other. And we had to kind of like walk through how does our attribution waterfall work? Um, what are the changes that we need to make? The good news is our product is super, super configurable. So like um, you can you can literally be in charge of how that waterfall happens when you're a, a marketer using our tool. And so it wasn't a big stretch to get to that date, but it was still pretty panic ridden. And so uh, a lot of our briefing calls were taking into a con- into context, okay, advertiser X, um, here's where your media mix looks. Um, here are the things that are going to be affected. Facebook and Google haven't 
weighed in yet on their policy and we're two weeks away from this going out. <laughs> so we'll be ready when they are, but just so you know, you should maybe think about doing a shift in media planning and what does that look like? And um, so, you know, I think the kind of appalled response from customers was just like, okay, let me get this straight. I'm not the only one that's in the dark. I mean, I you know, everyone just kind of assumes they're the only one that maybe didn't get the memo. And then you have one of these meetings. You're like, you know, you're, you're the um, you're the measurement platform, the attribution platform. You're integrated with all these different sources, and um, you don't have more clarity. And Facebook hasn't weighed in, and Google hasn't weighed in. And like, yep, that's the way it works. We'll let you know as soon as they come in with some responses. <laughs> um, so it was a surprise, I think, for everyone. So is that um, does that make it more difficult to? Uh, pitch your own services, uh, not just for you, but for all the MMPs, because you're kind of all in a holding pattern. I know that since that announcement has been made, a lot of people have come up with their own individual solutions on SK Ad Network and how they're still going to be able to do their job. Or uh... So what kind of challenges are you trying to overcome? Like, how do you position it to your to any of the uh, apps that are listening? Yeah, I mean, the uh, I would argue that we have... The best. I'm I'm biased, obviously. On I hope you wouldn't say you have the worst. Yeah, yeah, we're <laughs> yeah, kind we're of average. Or the stuff. second best. We're, yeah. we're the second best. You know? We we genuinely believe we have the best implementation for SKI network because of how we had been thinking through this. And specifically, if you get into the details, we've applied these conversion models to a conversion bit protocol, and without kind of putting under propeller head propeller head hat and kind of getting into the weeds the way Apple implemented SKAD network for identifying lifetime value is super non-approachable to the average ad ops person. And so I'll just leave it at that. And, and so the implica implication of that is you need to have a mechanism that makes it really straightforward where they can take their first party analytics data and have that inform this um, you know, deterministic but non-identifiable cohort-based measurement thing that is SCAD so that it can rinse and repeat super quick. And that's what we built, a, a simple way to make that possible and to have it coexist with your first party data, which Apple says there's no problem, obviously, with doing analytics around first party data. So that's a that's a valuable thing. So um, for us, that was it was kind of like a reassuring message to our customers to say, we have this outstanding platform. We're not a single purpose MMP these are the reasons from a broad perspective why you use our product. And such a time as this is a reason why um, this is a great partnership and a relationship. If you were just paying us as a single purpose, you know, MMP mobile attribution company, um, you know, either the MMP needs to quickly add a lot of capabilities or the customer is kind of left in a lurch on how to solve this bigger picture. What do you think happens with retargeting companies and similarly uh, DSPs? There's a bunch of things that are happening. I think retargeting companies have provided a tremendous value um, across the ecosystem. And obviously without a device ID being always present, it will absolutely impact their business in their capacity to retarget those audiences. Um, I, I've thought about, there's kind of this going in assumption that with IDFA opt-in, there's going to be a super low opt-in rate. And it would be normal to assume that. When you think about 
the continual changes to the Apple privacy page that's posted on their website. I don't know if you're familiar, but that's kind of updated a handful of times since WWDC. And it hasn't necessarily been announced that it's been updated, but you know, very material changes have, have been added uh, to that page. And, and one of the things that has been added is this kind of assertion that if you use single sign-on services, you have to do ATT opt-in. Um, if you have any other kind of offline cross-compare of data, you have to do ATT opt-in, even though it has nothing to do with the operating system on, on the Apple device. Offline cross-compare of data, ATT opt-in. It begs a really interesting question about enforcement, but the implication of that is prior to some of those clarifying updates on that page from Apple, there was a lot of, there was a strong sentiment that, oh, offline is um, totally okay. We'll use hashed email addresses uh, for retargeting. And I think hashed emails will be used. But what Apple is really drawing a clear line in the sand on is that um, you you have to do ATT opt-in if you're going to do that. Otherwise, you stand to risk being kicked out. And so there's going to be a, I think, one of two things will happen, and maybe it's both. One is there's going to be a lot of fear and trembling about, it was my app going to get kicked out if there's even the inclination that I'm doing some of these things that they're saying I'm not allowed to do without doing ATT opt-in. And so there's that's like the you know, the, um, the worry of any app developer uh, with their products. The other side of it is there's so many considerations that require ATT opt-in. Will this not just turn into kind of um, consent nagging where you're getting like tapped in the sternum every other second about saying, do you opt-in, do you opt-in, do you opt-in? Now you can only do it once for a particular app, but I'm saying, will this, will all these requirements make every app just ask for consent period the end? And as a consumer, we'll start to get um, uh, behaviorally uh, normalized to just, yeah, let's just opt in, in which case the opt-in rates will not be as low as we think. And in fact, they'll be high. And so circling back to your question, how will this affect retargeting? Probably not in a very meaningful way. It'll probably just be the same way as it's always been. So it's really going to be interesting to see what happens behaviorally between those two dynamics. Yeah, yeah. Now that we have talked nerdy, usually we'll start with some fun questions and go talk some nerdy talk and then uh, finish up with a few things. But now that we've gotten all the smart stuff, we're going to go on to you, Charles, as the human being. Well, first, I feel like we should ask, because this is called Appy Hour, what is your drink, Charles? Yeah, your wind-down drink. Or your wind-up drink. Hey, who knows? (laughs) Charles getting crunk. Yeah. So I... um... I think that prior to this lockdown, I was probably on the road 85% of my life, which was pretty crazy. And so, um, and you don't typically like, you're not on the road and like just um, not doing things. You're you're meeting with clients, you're going to events like you guys is, um, and there's always drinks. And I will say that uh, old fashioned was my go-to and has always been kind of, well, has has been my go-to for many, many years. And, um, uh, but I don't typically mix old fashions at home. Mm. So I usually just crush a bottle of wine with my wife. <laughs> crush it. Crush it. <laughs> and your wife, uh, also works at Coachella. She does. She runs brand. Um, so she, she has uh, been with the company 
for like six years, but, you know, been with the company since the beginning. Um, she, she has, we, we met working together uh, and. At Kochava or before? Sorry. It was a long time ago. Um, I feel like I'm super old, but it was a long time ago. And um, we met working together and one of the, uh, you know, we started dating and the people that we worked with didn't know. <laughs> did you meet at a happy hour? We yeah, didn't. Did we were like in the same, same like war room office thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, so really thoughtful of not disrupting the culture of, of that environment. I think just acclimated in our relationship that uh, work is work. And one of the funny things that she always says, not super sexy at all to say this, but uh, the comment was that her first attraction to me was my work ethic. Uh, <laughs> fabulous. Um, so <laughs> we, uh, we, we met in that environment and we've been very normalized to working together ever since then. And she was running, uh, she does brand, she does identity. Um, she's been a graphic designer <laughs> for her whole career and she had her own um, consulting firm and, you know, we, I asked her to always do stuff on the side for Kochava while I was starting Kochava. And eventually there was enough to do. I said, you know, you need to fire all these clients and get to work over here. There's too much to do. And uh, thankfully she, um, she did. So you had to do two proposals. Yes. There's always yeah. proposals. Double opt-in. Well, I think it, re it really says something about your relationship that you guys thrive in a work context too. And you also have figured out ways to separate it, I assume. For sure. It's tough for me to separate work. Like I think about it a lot, but you know, this sounds um, kind of, uh, kind of lame, but one of the great things about working together is that coming home the first 25 or 30 minutes isn't debriefing the context yeah. of whatever you're going to share. Cause they already have the context. You can just go straight to the, the, <laughs> the content. To the, You're just always to optimizing. The so optimizing. it's just an optimized environment. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it's it's really, I think it is a unique thing. There's a lot of people that um, work at the company that when they first came on, they were like, well, hang on, let me get this straight. These two are married. That's probably going to be super uncomfortable and weird. And like, what's going to happen here? And I I mean, I know, again, maybe I'm not looking at, through it with uh, everyone's everyone's glasses, but it's not weird at all. I think what's weird for people is when I'm really impassioned about a topic and Kimberly happens to be the target of that passion. Um, it, that's not abnormal that it's like, no, we have to do it this way. And it doesn't, it doesn't really have a bearing um, that she happens to be the person that is my wife. Mm. Wait, you mean like if you guys have like a big serious discussion at work, it's like, it really is just a work discussion and you can. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And yeah, it's loaded up. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you go for it. Like it's not. Yeah. See, that's amazing. That's, that's something I think is outstanding that you guys can separate church and state, so to speak, you know? Yeah. Like, I have a question. Like why Sandpoint and how did we get there? That's such an awesome question. That's why she's here. <laughs> awesome. If, I feel like it, there's gotta be such a good origin story because it is something that, you know, it's unique. Yeah. So you guys said your studio is on Broadway there. Is that right? Uh, the podcast studio that we're in. Awesome. So uh, I um, lived um, in San Francisco in like Pacific Heights um, way back in the day. And then after I met 
Kimberly, we met on site on a project in LA in Newport Beach. Um, and then we came back to the city after we had gotten married and um, she lived, well, when we were dating, she lived like Washington and Jones, just mm-hmm. kind of category to you and um, lived um, Broadway and Jones-esque. So right in that area. And um, it was when I was working at Oracle and um, was super excited about starting a company and I started it. It started it in Emeryville and did the reverse commute. And this was an Emeryville was like not what it is today. Yeah. It was a very different Emeryville. This was in 1997, uh, 1998. Anyways, um, so starting at a company, starting a company there, everything's super expensive. It was great. It was like the dot-com excitement and enthusiasm. Um, uh, I guess it was in 98, 99, wasn't it? Um, anyways, long story short, it struck me how difficult it was to raise or to to start a company and try to be efficient financially. Like that was like a very difficult thing to do. And um, thankfully we sold the company um, kind of before everything fell apart in the overall economy of internet properties, sold it to a company in the East coast. And the way the deal was structured originally was, um, you know, buy the company, you're going to be the West coast lead. We're going to grow. We're going to do all these exciting things. And then like, it was almost like to the, day every day that went by things started to get uglier and uglier and it was like a foreshadowing of the dot-com um kind of blow up the term sheet changed like almost on a weekly basis <laughs> and it went from everything's going to be fabulous and you're going to grow and um you're going to run the west coast to we're going to get this deal done still but you and the whole team are moving to the east coast and we better sign this now otherwise we don't know if there's a deal at all like so it was just really quick right and so there's a compelling event to say, even though we love San Francisco, we're going to D.C. Um, this was in Washington, D.C., kind of the Maryland area. I had a great um, experience in that transaction and transition, learned a ton, worked for a fabulous uh, woman who uh, was formerly a, kind of a GM business owner at Computer Associates, uh, which is a big you know, IT monitoring infrastructure company and she was the ceo of this other company so i like didn't have to worry about payroll and didn't have to worry about like the challenges of uh running a company and i uh, got to learn a lot from her and we're in dc dc's great because there's like you everyone's very friendly um i'll get into all that later i suppose but um super super um great experience but at the end of the day we were there for four years and we were like, we're going back to San Francisco at some point and we better do it quick. So it was like this kind of impending moment where we knew we were going to be back on the West Coast. And on one vacation, my wife and I are um, on vacation and we're reading this book. Um, I had um, been training to uh, fly and this book was from the editor of Forbes who had gotten his pilot's license and wrote a book called Life 2.0. And the premise was he convinced his executive editor to let him fly all around the country to small towns where major market entrepreneurs move to the small town to have a new kind of business. And the whole premise was not everything's going to happen on these coastal locations and yada, yada. Anyways, my enthusiasm around flying drew me to read the book. We were reading it on this vacation. We were like, what if we did our own stack ranking? 
of towns based on some of these DNA metrics that are in this book and that we can research elsewhere. And let's just pick where we live. And let's not necessarily go back to the Bay Area, but if we don't like it within a year, we'll move to the Bay Area. That's always an option. And if we do like it, we'll just stay. And so lo and behold, we stack rank a bunch of towns. We went on a few like confirmatory diligence trips after this vacation. And um, we went to Sandpoint and we left owning a piece of property. (laughs) You're like, this is crazy. What's funny is you were so like smart about ranking everything and doing it with data. And then you just impulsively just bought something. Yeah. Well, the point was, is that we felt really like excited about this place. And um, so we bought it and we were like, oh, let's just dip our toe in. Now we have a now we have a piece of property. So if like property values go up, yeah. we won't you will we'll be disappointed. We flew back to DC and we were like, we're moving. Like I don't know what the hell I'm gonna do there, but we're moving. Yeah. And yeah, so then we moved there and like literally that was 2005. So that was a long time ago. And we were there for a year and um that was kind of our litmus test. If we like it, we stay. If we don't, we move. And we've been there, you know, we've yeah. been, it's been 15 years. What do you do for fun in Sandpoint? You know, um, besides ski, like when it's not snow, snow. <laughs> yeah. So we ski a lot in the winter. Um, there's a big lake. There's a big glacial lake that uh, carved out of the mountains. And so there's a lot of water skiing and there's jet skiing. And um, so boating stuff is a big thing. Um, there's a lot of hiking and mountain biking. I, I um, candidly don't do a ton of uh, mountain biking, but a lot of people that do, do. It is fun. <laughs> I just don't find a lot of time doing it. I'm pretty straightforward. I'm like, I work or I love hanging out with my family and my kids. Yeah. So it's pretty binary. Do you still fly? You know, I, um, I kind of, uh, I had a conversation a long time ago. Uh, with Kimberly that I either need to have both a budget in time and money uh, to fly like every weekend, or I'm going to find myself um, dead on the bottom of, uh, you know, in the ground. So just, you have to stay current. And when I'm, you know, when I was traveling all the time, like you just can't stay current. And so you, you want to, you just need to do that. And, um, but I really am. um, I really love it. I just don't do it very often. I don't do it really at all. But mm. there will be a season. There will be a season where um, it's not so busy, and I'm sure I'll be flying. It'll be really fun. Well, you know what? If it's not during a pandemic where everything's shut down, that's the time to do it. Then it's never going to happen. <laughs> that's right. That's a really good point. Um, do you guys like flying? You answer first because I might have a longer story. I liked flying until I started flying all the time for work. But um, when you get into a group, it was okay. And I, you know what I noticed is that I don't watch movies anymore now that I'm not flying. I would watch movies and cry like a tiny child constantly. I I don't know what it is about a plane that makes me kind of emotional. It's like there's something like wistful about it, like looking out the window and... So and then you watch a sad movie and you're like, oh, life is beautiful, you know. We just watch a comedy. Yeah. But, but I like, sometimes I'm committed to like, I want to commit to that feeling. So I watch like more you're dramatic. Like, I'm on a plane. I'm going to cry. It's just what yeah, I do. Yeah, like I feel it's a good relief. I love that your mission is to like commit to the feeling. So yeah. yeah. Genre specific choices based on that. That's pretty terrific. It's yeah, very on brand for Ariel. 
Well, I I tend to be like the the bleeding heart of the group between me and Louis. Like I always actually I'll ask you. Well, and then I want to know if you yeah. miss flying Louis. But I wanted to ask Charles what his love languages were oh. too. Do oh, you know dear. what that is? <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> okay, set it up for him. Do you know do you know the do you know about the love languages? What do you do? So there's five love languages. You can have you can everyone communicates in all five, but you generally have a, a primary and a secondary, and they are words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, gift giving, or acts of service. Charles, what are yours? <laughs> yep. Um, mine are probably acts of service and mm-hmm. physical touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really funny that you even asked this because I... Uh, someone on the team, I won't out them, uh, but mm. someone on the team, I was having a bit of a down to the mat white knuckle moment where I was really frustrated with um, something and he was frustrated. And I'm giving you the qualifiers. It's a male on the team, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's what makes the funny the story funny. He was frustrated on a bunch of stuff and um, and I just belted out, you know what the problem is, is your love language is entirely off from how I'm giving you the business. And he was like, what in the hell are you talking about? And it was exactly that issue. I think that we can use this to make teams work better together, right? Yep. Maybe. Yeah, it's kind of like any sort of psychological mixing and matching, right? Like like some people are okay with being, let's say, coached hard, and other people kind of need like the friend right, and the buddy. You know, it's all kind of understanding what works. And Ariel, you said affirmation, but like just for the studio audience, like affirmation also is synonymous with respect, I love that you say that because words of affirmation is my love language, my primary. <laughs> okay, Louis, tell tell us, do you miss flying? You know, it's funny is during the whatever amount of time that we had off, I was thinking, well, what am I going to do with my time? Uh, so besides building an online platform for our virtual events. Yeah, I, you guys did that. Yeah. Yeah. We said, you know what? Everything sucks. Let's just do it. But then I'm sitting there. I'm like, well, I should learn a new hobby. So I was thinking, let me take up flying. Oh. Yeah. Like I'm thinking, okay, well, I got a bunch of time here. I live in Los Angeles, so I can go to like Santa Monica Airport, which is about a mile away, if that. I'm like, and take some flying lessons because I saw a YouTube video of a story you might have heard of a pilot on a private plane or or a semi-private plane charter jet. He had a heart attack and died, but someone who was on the flight knew how to fly. It was like 10 years ago, but they had some basic knowledge. So I'm thinking, you know what? I should learn how to fly a plane. You know, it just, then I thought it'd be kind of cool too. Like who the hell knows how to fly a plane besides Charles? <laughs> I, that's yeah. for sure. That's a fantastic thing to have in your back pocket. Yeah. Plus it's like gotta be some cool story factors. Like I know how to fly a plane. It's like, Wow. Who does that? <laughs> well, and the other uh, fun thing about flying is you're operating in the third dimension. Like when you're driving and you're driving super, super fast, like everything's mm. like the worst case scenario, you're not going to fall out of the sky. Yeah. And like, there's a really neat kind of physics dynamism that ends up being fun to think about that third dimension of, of depth. Yeah. Which is why I think that we're never going to have flying cars. Right. Because, you know, <laughs> unless they're completely autonomous. Are. 
Yeah. Yes, that's true. But the other thing that was one of my sort of business hobbies, I guess, is uh, because we do a lot of work with the Brazilian market, I wanted to not be some gringo that just goes down there and talks about how to take advantage of a market. Uh, I really like the Brazilian people, the culture, the food, uh, and the language, I think, sounds like, you know, for lack of a better phrase, the sexiest language, especially when spoken by cariocas. And I understand you were, you've lived in Brazil? Yeah, little known fact. So um, I was born in Boulder, and my folks were speechwriters for some folks who uh, were in Brazil, some um uh, so they were they were writing speeches for these diplomat esque uh, folks, and so we moved to Brazil. And my first language was Portuguese. You just you just teed him up. So if I was to say você fala você fala português, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am the now. Just let him. He like he took lessons. He wants to say yeah, something I've else. Yeah, taken lessons for over a year and a half, uh, like at <laughs> least once a week. Or that's awesome. A couple times a week. Have you? Where have you visited? Uh, Sao Paulo right now has been the only thing because that's where the work was you know for if you're going to have an event in brazil you got to go to sao paulo but uh next year we're going to well whenever we can travel regularly again (laughs) i should say we're going to have two events in brazil uh every six months one in rio de janeiro and then also in uh, sao paulo awesome oh i actually have traveled one other place uh aquasu falls you have you heard of Guasu? I have not heard of it. So basically, take Niagara Falls times ten. There's like it. It looks like the. Uh, yeah. Well, I went during uh basically Brazilian uh winter, like September, so it wasn't that bad. But it looks like a part of the Earth just caved in, and there's like multi-level waterfalls like sometimes like three levels of deep waterfalls there's one section everyone listening including charles should google aguasu falls and there's one part i think is called the devil's mouth where it just like falls so deep into the earth and it's just a waterfall it's just amazing that's rad i mean that's the thing i love about like the business that we're in Yes, there's the flying and the opportunity to take advantage of these great emotional moments of watching movies. Um, <laughs> no, seriously. But there is this really neat thing that you get to like visit these amazing spots and mm. like it's part of work. Like it's kind of incredible. Yeah. Well, yeah, we went to Singapore. I took the team out there for a week before the event. And we like Singapore is obviously one of the most beautiful cities that you could travel to. And it's bananas. It's, it's so cool. It's like, wow, this is like real. <laughs> I want to ask, well, I want to ask one question and then we should get to this or that because I know we don't want to take up too much of your time, Charles. But I actually had, um, as the child of speechwriters, do you have any like public speaking hacks? Uh, good question. I don't, I mean, I don't know that I have hacks that could be like canonized to be that important. But I, when you ask the question, I've got like two two things that come to mind. So yeah, so my mom um, was a big influence on me and she was really, um, she is a really fabulous communicator. Um, it, I, I joke that it's like her pastime, even if mm-hmm. no one wants to listen, she yeah. just loves to chat at you. Um, but in, in her time of professional execution, um, she was always been a really good communicator and um, 
kind of connecting with with her audience. She this was a season that they were doing speech writing, but you know she she was an entrepreneur and an educator, and my dad was an educator, and anyway, so it was it was just different seasons. But uh, to your question about what do I think about she, <laughs> I was uh, I was student body president, so you're going to start to typecast me uh, when I when I was in high school, I was. I was that guy. Um, but I remember when I was giving my speech to, um, you know, cause that's kind of the one and done thing. If you're going to get voted in high school, um, she had uh, really highlighted to me that if you're nervous at all about communicating in front of a large audience, imagine an enormous banner that's behind all of them that they cannot see, but only you can read, which is just love them. Oh, oh, Ariel's melting. <laughs> and the point is, you broke Ariel. Charles. When, Thank you. When you <laughs> when you communicate and you're nervous about uh, landing a point, you get really uh, brittle. If you communicate and you think about how you really want to care for the people that you're speaking to, you tend to just be a little bit more soft. Yeah. And they can feel that and they resonate with it more and engage with me more. Oh, that was good. See, I knew he would have some kind of gem. Oh, that was great. And that also kind of matches up, syncs up perfectly with that other piece of advice a lot of public speakers are given, which is they see a sea of people and they're told to focus on one person for like 30 to 60 seconds and talk to that one face. And then at a different crowd, that other person. So you have like three faces for like middles left and right. Yeah. And then the one time when one speaker came up to me and said, Oh yeah, I was doing that thing. Whereas you look at, you pick your faces and then, and then someone came up to me and I'm like, Hey, you were one of my faces because I guess speaking to that person resonated with that person yeah. wanted to come up and talk more. So if, uh, any service providers are out there and giving presentations, make sure you, uh, yeah. Pick a few faces. faces. That's right. <laughs> Can you imagine like someone just staring at you and you're like, ah, I don't want to be the face you chose. Yeah, like, that, <laughs> yeah. So maybe what you can do, depending on the length of your presentation, is is have rounds of faces. Like yeah. over here, I'm going to focus on that person. When I come back, I'm picking a different face. I feel like that could be a curb your enthusiasm. Like, So we are going to play a game of this or that. I'm just going to name two different things. Wow. And you're just going to pick one. Don't think, overthink it at all. And um, what am I picking? In what context? It's a Rorschach test. Yeah. Whatever is the your answer is the right yeah, answer. Yeah, I know it, it. Yeah. We will not psychoanalyze you. Don't worry. It'll I'm not gonna be... like. I'm, I'll make them easy to start. Mountains or beach? Mm, mountains. See, easy. Yeah. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Ooh. <laughs> okay. iOS or Android? iOS. Oh, he drew the line in the sand. Delightful. Even post IDFA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> begrudgingly. He said. He said begrudgingly. <laughs> um, cubed ice cubes or crushed ice. Cubed ice, provided that it is almost as big as my fist and has no oxygen in it. Ooh. See, people are very specific about their ice cubes, I've noticed. They are, because I said I had a big snowball ice that I put in brandy, and she's like, oh, yeah, anyone who has special ice is definitely going to tell them all about it. They talk about it like lots they of They do ice. weirdly talk saying. about it. It's a true statement. They, they do. Um, okay, uh, teacher or student? Mm, I, uh, I guess student. 
Interesting. I think a lot of people would have assumed you said, a lot of people meaning me, would have assumed that you would have said teacher. Well, teachers are the eternal students. The great teachers are. That's true. Dum, dum, dum. (laughs) Symmetrical or asymmetrical? Uh, For sure, symmetrical. Call or text? Uh, Text. Text. Boy, that really says a lot about <laughs> well, you see your wife at work all the time and at home. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. 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 Um, software update now or software update later? I think that goes back to symmetrical. Update as soon as you have the opportunity. <laughs> and if it the, breaks, deal with it. <laughs> I think you're the first person who said software update now. I think a lot of people have a very um, apprehension. Like a, no, they have like an, I have an, an aggressive relationship with my computer where I'm always like, later, later, later. And I just like tell it later constantly. Yeah. You know what? A lot of these questions accidentally are pretty revealing of. Uh, oh, for sure. You know, <laughs> I'm self-analyzing like, as I'm answering them. It's pretty I, terrible. Yeah. Like, like when you're saying, oh, later, 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 like in your very aggressive relationship, like you're very emotional. When yeah, you're, right, yeah. And that's, Charles is very analytical, so that's he's going to be symmetrical. This is, and well, I've got a great story about this that is very okay. contrarian to the reason why that's a good idea. I mean, it's I just if there's software to be updated, let's get it on the iron. Let's update it. Like that's just mm. weirdly how my head is. And iOS 13. I don't know if you guys ran into this, but I use Mail. I don't use like some third-party Mail app. I yeah, use actually too. right. I actually yeah. like mail. I prefer mail to like Google web crap. For sure. Well, so um, starting in iOS 13, mail was broken. And maybe yeah. it was just me with the volume of mail that I either get or consume or go through, but it was broken and it only was fixed in iOS 14. And mm. I clobbered along for a full year getting software updates. And it was one of those times where I felt very convicted. Like, why did I update iOS 13? This is the absolute worst experience. And I was also super judgy of Apple. Like, what are we doing? Like, we can't do a mail app. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? And uh, it's not the moneymaker. So they don't didn't put... opt into this. Yeah, but it's fixed now with 14, thankfully. Well, I appreciate that story. Don't fix what's not broken. Because usually if it's a major update, I'll wait to the first bug fix. I'll wait to the zero point one and i know a lot of people a good friend of mine is like just like you like nope get it in (laughs) okay and last one work from home or go into the office go into the office i'm actually at the office right now oh yeah there aren't many people here but i am and why do you think go into the office versus work from home i just get into a better mental space like when i'm home I, i mean you could probably ask one of my kids, um, is dad home when he's home? And they'd probably debate it and say, well, he's not really home. He's on his phone, <laughs> whatever. But I do like the mental space of when I'm at work, I'm at work. And when I'm at home, I'm at home. And if I have to go do a meeting or something, then it's just an offshoot. But I like I like the office because I like the camaraderie of a team. Yeah. And that's like, kind of not there at the moment. But yeah, yeah. I know. I know what you mean. Yeah, but that's the thing that I miss the most. It's like I love being in there. I love just throwing out an idea and getting immediate feedback, brainstorming back and forth instead of over an email or a computer. Like it'd be so much better if we were doing we're doing this podcast over Zoom because Sandpoint versus San Francisco and LA. So, but next time we'll have to do this in Sandpoint. Yeah, yeah. well we could do it. We could do it here. Crushing a bottle of wine. Yeah, yes. <laughs> 
Yes. Well, this was really nice talking to you, Charles. I feel like the man behind the Sandpoint Curtain. I, I like the like Wizard I of Sandpoint. <laughs> yeah. There the you Wizard go. of Oz of Sandpoint. There you go. <laughs> well, I have to commend you guys. I think um, there is such an opportunity, and you guys are um, doing a great job filling this gap of just communication and collaboration and um, continuity for people in this ecosystem. You know, oh, thank you. Display and digital media is very different from mobile, and yet they're very much needing to be thought through in an omni-channel way. And so, you know, there's an argument, like if you start in mobile ad buying, there's kind of a limit because there's only so many things you're going to do. But I, I, th I think the contrary, it's the mobile ad buyers that are going to become the elevated seniority in omni-channel um, media companies or uh, you know, offices of CMOs or agencies, because mobile is such a key fulcrum to the media plan. Mm -hmm. And before it was always like the aftershoot. And I think there's a huge opportunity for um, you guys to kind of really cultivate that. Um, it, and I'll, I'll give you like one for instance. In all of this nonsense around SCAD and iOS 14, if there is a debate or there is a thought process that um, effective um, media buying at scale is not going to be as possible. Where does a marketer put their money? And then where do they measure the effectiveness of that money? I'll, I'll kind of cut to the chase and say, I think where that money starts going is on OTT and CTV, but they still measure their mobile footprint. Mm. They don't measure OTT exposure they measure engagement on, on the footprint of mobile and the implication of that. And to the extent that companies like us and we can, can connect those dots, then they get, they get credit for it with their leadership. The other place that they're going to um, be putting that money is around kind of in, intrinsic uh, intent, which is search. So that's Apple search ads mm -hmm. and that's other, you know, high intent search dynamics. And so, Going back to the community you guys have built and are continuing to build to the extent that you um, have them think about how app is the, you know, it's the, that's the starting point, but it's really media as a whole that they have unique in insight on is pretty slick. I feel mm. like, Louis, you paid him to say this because you've been saying this for... <laughs> is that right? He, Do you say that? Yeah, no, yeah. Like, Louis has the same, you, he's been saying it since like... Yeah. Yeah. Well, but. thank you, Charles, for that. Uh, like I said, the check's in the mail. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, you made it to the end of the episode. Thanks for taking the journey with us, and we hope you found it exactly as advertised. Where it was mostly fun and entertaining, but we did manage to get in a little tech talk in there as well, so you can kind of tell your managers that this was actually time spent doing work stuff. Trust me, we won't tell on you. Please subscribe so you can get notifications every time we release an episode. And please head on over to appgrowthsummit.com. Let us know what you thought or let us know if you'd like to be a guest in a future episode or recommend the guest that would be absolutely amazing. Please tell all your friends and colleagues about the happy hour and be sure to have lots of laughs until the next episode. <laughs>